You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. That's a disappointing. That's just a popular Christian song that's been doing the rounds for a while. When Jesus says yes, nobody can say no. And I just love the corollary, but the not so popular song, When Jesus Says No, nobody can say yes. It's amazing how we never seem to sing, When Jesus says no, nobody can say yes. It kind of, it's, it's so counterintuitive to us, isn't it? Even if there's a referendum, you know that before a referendum begins, like we had a referendum in Ireland recently, that the minute you are on the yes side, you already have this huge advantage because nobody wants to say no, do they? We don't like to say no. We don't want to be the mean, ugly parent who says no to their children. Everybody wants to say yes. Because we're all so happy when we say yes. But sometimes when Jesus says no, it's the best thing for us. Would anyone say? Right, Susie, what do you got? And that had absolutely nothing to do with the message this morning. uh, Other than that, when Jesus says yes, it's about Jesus' authority. That Jesus is the one who opens and closes. You know what it says in the book of Revelation? "I uh, I am alive and I have the key of David. What I open, no one can shut. And what I shut... No one can open. That is God's authority. That is Jesus' authority. I want to be looking, I want to look this morning at a passage of scripture, um, which is taken from Mark's gospel, chapter 2. And the last time I was speaking, I was talking about the difference between a good heart and a bad heart. And Jesus said that the difference between a good heart and a bad heart was obvious. That a good heart would produce good works and it would produce good results. And that a bad heart would be like a bad tree that produces bad fruit. It's not, it's not a very complicated or very deep illustration, but he's bang on. Good, good things come out of good people and bad things come out of bad people. It's not that, it's not that complicated. It's relatively binary. Um, I want to look this morning at two groups of people who had a good heart and a bad heart, or so it would seem, and I want to see what Jesus had to say in the middle of it all. We're going to be going to the village of Capernaum. Jesus has been on the road now for uh, a while. He's been on the road actually probably about a year. And he has been delivering people, healing people, calming storms, delivering people of demons, preaching the good news, feeding thousands of people. And he comes back to his hometown in his home village of Capernaum, where the story we're speaking about this morning takes up. And I find it to be an interesting story. I've always been stirred and interested by the story because it presents to me a, a lot of challenges when I look at it. So I'm going to begin. We're going to go to a house in Capernaum, where Jesus is speaking, and I'm going to dive straight in, just for the what it's worth. Good morning to everyone on the Cafe Church, if you're tuned in this morning. Um, you can throw up these verses if you want to, but I will be interspersing in and out of this particular passage. I'm going to look at about 10 verses or so. Can we handle 10 verses this morning of the actual Bible? Yes, yes okay. Let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. Here we go. It says this. It says, the house where Jesus was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. 
Now, how can there be no room even outside the door? Anyway, we move on. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Most of you are familiar with the story. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Jesus' popularity has been spreading. The word about him is getting out that he can do amazing things and that he says amazing things. He arrives in this town. He's in this house where he's staying, which we now know to be Peter's house in the village of Capernaum. He's staying in Peter's house and he begins to teach the word of God and everybody wants to hear what Jesus has to say. They want to be around this one who has a very, a very powerful effect on the atmosphere and a very powerful effect on the people around him. And I love this idea that four men arrived and they're carrying a paradise paralyzed man and the mat they couldn't bring him into Jesus because of the crowd and at this moment you realize that there was somebody in the crowd and they were almost certainly Irish it goes on to say this so they dug a hole through the roof above his head and then lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus now when you look at this story and, and we'll look at it in a few seconds when you look at this story and you, you, you examine the details of what's going on here some, come, some interesting things come to mind the first of all is that when they arrive with this man everybody needs to be helped by someone amen no man is an island amen none of us no man no woman is an island they come and they bring this guy who's paralyzed and we'll get a little bit more into that in a second and so they arrive at the house but they can't get in to see Jesus now it's not like they don't have options, okay? So Jesus isn't going to speak forever. He will eventually finish speaking. And if they were patient, they could hang on and they could bring him to Jesus when Jesus was finished. They could also have come back another day because it wasn't like he was never going to speak again. They could come back another day, bring the guy back another day. Or they could have sent word into Jesus and said, Lord, we have a paralyzed man outside here. We really need you to come out and lay hands on him. Now, if it was me, I gotta say, I would probably be, be in the category of one of those three. I'd say, okay, guys, circumstances are difficult. We can't carry out what it is that we intended to carry out. And so I think we better leave it. We'll wait for Jesus to finish. We'll come back another day or we'll send word in and see if he'll come out to see us. To me, they were, the, they were the rational answers. But of course, somebody has this bright spark of an idea to say, I'll tell you what, let's go through the roof. Now, have any of you ever been locked out of your home? Put your hand up. Have any of you been locked out of your home? That's a good fist of us have at some stage been accidentally locked out of your home. I don't mean deliberately. If your wife locked you out, that's a different story, lads. You're on your own on that one. But accidentally locked out of your home. Now, how many of you thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go through the roof. None of you. Juvie Fitzgerald went through the roof. You did? And did you get in? And you didn't fall? Impressive. Let's give it up for Juvie Fitzgerald. He locked the door. Look, we can do counseling out. That's no problem. We can, we can, we can. Well, other than Juvie, thank you, Juvie. How many people here ever thought of going through the roof? I wouldn't think, let's go up and tear the roof off. And I reckon it must have been an Irish fella. Should we go through the roof? It'll be great crack. No, it won't be great crack. So they said, so they had to go about their business. Here's the thing about it. This is, this is the point I want to make. It's a simple point. Faith does not let circumstances speak to it. It speaks to circumstances. They were caught in a situation where they couldn't get to Jesus, but that was not going to let them stand in the way. So they dug a hole in the roof, as you do. What was the roof made of? The roof was also almost certainly made of support timbers, layered over by branches or wicker, and then coated in mud. That's what it was. So imagine the scene as Jesus is preaching the message, right? So they're up on top of the roof. You can hear the... 
going around the top of the roof as Jesus is saying, you know, consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor stow away into barns. And, and as he's speaking, they begin to, you begin to hear a hacking noise up on the roof. Going, what on earth is going on? And next thing, as Jesus is speaking, a bit of dust lands on his head. Or, or a piece of plaster. And he consider the birds there. They neither sow nor reap nor stow away into barns. And yet your heavenly father. And yet you get the impression that Jesus wasn't at all phased by this. He's not at all phased by the way in which we come to him. He's not at all phased. And he's, he carries on preaching and the dust is falling in. And you know, we love to think of this as some kind of a serene scene where Jesus was there serenely speaking and everybody was serenely listening. I would say it was absolutely chaotic. And suddenly these guys break through a hole in the roof and they begin to lower this man on a mat. Now, I don't know who gets the idea of lowering a man on a mat from a, a roof height. But I mean, it's a dangerous journey, isn't it? So he's being lowered down and you think, oh, he just smoothly dropped down. No, he didn't. He jerked and he pulled and he, he nearly fell. And this guy let go of the rope too fast. And hold on, Josiah, hold on. And he, oh, that went too, too fast. And this guy's jerking down through the hole. But you know, if you're paralyzed, hey, what have you got to lose, you know? So he's being lowered down and he's dropping down. And next thing, as he's preaching... As he's preaching, Jesus continues, and next thing he sees the guy drop down, and I can imagine who we think, Jesus just stood there and watched this all happen. I bet you he was there holding the man as he came down. There was a big crowd gathering around. It was an incredible sight. And then as he lays down, it goes, I, I love it. It says, then they, as they lowered the man down, it says this, aha. Oh, sorry, yes, this is the point I wanted to make. This is the point I wanted to make. Sorry, lads, forgive me. Busy week. Uh, here's the thing about it. He got these four guys they have this idea that they're going to go through the roof and they're definitely going to get their friend to Jesus. And it is that determination that really shows their faith. It's that determination to really get it done. Jesus talked, uh, he talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he said this to them. He said, from the time of John the baptizer, or the Baptist as we would have known him, until now the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful people have been seizing it. Forceful people have been taking hold of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus says this, he's saying it to the Jewish authorities who basically said, hey, the kingdom of God is ours. And Jesus said to him, no, it's not. The kingdom of God has actually been taken off you by people who are much more eager and zealous for the kingdom of God than you are. People who really want to get in are getting in despite the fact that you think that you're on the door stopping people from coming in. Are you with me? Am I speaking too fast? Okay. Thank you. From the time of John the Baptizer, people were eager. So I go back to our scene. Our scene is there, and these guys are lowering the, the, this man down through the roof. And as he, as he comes down, and he lands on the ground, and the crowd are thinking, what's going to happen here? And the poor fellow's lying there, and it says that Jesus said something to him. He said, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. My son, your sins are forgiven. My child, it says in some of the more modern translations, but I wanted to put in my son because he spoke directly to this man. My son, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, that is the music and the words of life that we need to hear. Because every one of us is carrying a burden. Every one of us is carrying sins. Every one of us needs to hear those words of Jesus in our lives. For some of you, you've never heard those words of Jesus being spoken over your life. Maybe today would be a new day for you. So as he comes in, he lays him down. I love this idea of the guy being lowered down. And, and, and he, he comes in, and I'm just going to lay down for a second. And he comes in and lays down. We do this all the time here in Grace. Wait, so he's lying down on the mat, and he can't move. I don't know, you know, is he, you know, he's frozen. He can't move. And Jesus looks at him and says, my son, 
your sins are forgiven. And he goes, oh, thanks very much. Uh, what about me legs? Any chance you'd ever look at them for me? And the guys are up above on the roof. Remember, they're still up on the roof looking in down the hole, having lowered them down, and they're going, your sins are forgiven. That's not what we came here for at all. It's like, what about his legs? Fix his legs, will you? They weren't the only people, I'd imagine. I'd imagine everyone in the crowd was going, oh, isn't that lovely? His sins are forgiven. No, they weren't. They were going, wow, that is a strange thing for a man to say. Your sins are forgiven. And there was a group of people who were there, and they were a little bit skeptical. They were a little bit uncertain about Jesus' approach. And it says this of them. It says, would you click on the, the pro presenter for me, please, Diana? Thank you. It says this. Ah, lads. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Who, a loose translation to Corky's, who does your man think he is? Who does he think he is? Did you hear him? I forgive your sins. He thinks he's something, doesn't he? sins are forgiven and they stand there going, oh, Jenny, he thinks he fancies himself with this fellow. Like, all right, Jesus, where are you? Oh, we know your brother and sister, don't we? Oh, yeah. Your dad's a carpenter, isn't that right? All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're forgiven sins now, yeah? Oh, that's lovely. Thanks very much for that, Jesus. That's how it would have happened in Cork, but of course, they would happen much different, I'm sure. So they were going, what the, who do, who does he think he is? Think of forgiving sins. Like, you don't just, like, you can't just say somebody's sins are forgiven. And that they were absolutely dead bang, 100% right in that. Only God can forgive your sins. Only God can do it. And they were 100% right. They knew their Bible. They knew their Old Testament. And in fact, they knew their Old Testament and then plenty with it. They were the authorities. They knew what they were talking about. Because they knew that they knew that this was not the way that somebody's sins get forgiven. No sacrifice being made for him. Ah, no, no, no. This isn't the orthodox way at all. We know we are the authorities. And as they look on at Jesus, they become hostile and their backs go up, and their authority is being threatened by the words that Jesus is saying, because they know they're the guys who just know. But there was a difference between Jesus and them, and we'll get to that in a second. Jesus said this uh, to, the, to the scribes and to the Pharisees. He said, you study the scriptures diligently, it says in John, because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. Now I want to say this. The Bible is an extremely important book. Would anyone say? Amen. It is the word of God inerrant. Would anybody say? Amen. It feeds us. It gives us life when we study it. Amen? Amen. But it is not the source of the life. Jesus is the source of the life in our lives. 
That is the source. It is here that we build our faith. It is here we hear the very voice of God. But it is faith in Jesus that transforms our life. And Jesus, when he's challenging the Pharisees and the Sadducees back here in John chapter 5, he talks about them knowing the Bible. You knew the Bible so well. I have over the years known so many people who knew the Bible so well. They could quote chapter and verse of more chapters and verses than I even realized there was in the Bible. They could give me details about the backgrounds of who... The daughters of Zorafidad's children's daughters, uncles were. And they knew who Moses' brother, sister's mother-in-law was. And it was really impressive. But very often these very same people had no grace. And had no understanding of what it was like to treat other people well. They had great knowledge. But they had mistranslated it into their lives. It didn't come across right in their lives. They didn't treat other people well. Which is kind of guys, brothers and sisters. It's the bottom line. How you treat other people is the bottom line of your life. If you want to say, actually, I, I won't, I won't I'll, go, I'll get complicated and I won't do that. Anyway, meanwhile, back in our story. I love this guy. So they're standing here. Jesus has said, my sins are forgiven. So there's a few people wondering, what on earth is going on here? The guy with the paralyzed legs is kind of going, thanks for that. Um, the Pharisees are saying, what is that? And the people are, people are standing there going, what's going to happen next? And what happens next? You know the story. Let's look at it. It says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Why do you question this in your hearts, he said? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, we all know which is easier said, don't we? I mean, I could say to anyone, let me take, take a random example. Greg, Greg, your sins are forgiven. You go, oh, thanks very much for that, Michael. That's very decent of you. You're very kind to you. Or I can say to anybody in this room, your sins are And you would never know. And even when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, who's to know that the guy's sins were forgiven? Maybe he was just saying stupid things. That's exactly what the Pharisees thought. He's talking dopey talk. That's what he's talking dopey talk when he says your sins are forgiven. Who can prove that your sins are forgiven? And Jesus says, well, let me show you that I have the authority. He goes up to say, he says, so I will prove to you that the son of man, very important title here not the son of God the son of man that a human being God has vested in this human being the authority on earth to forgive sins and Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said stand up pick up your mat and go home stand up pick up your mat and go home and here is where it comes to a crunch you see, on one side of it, you had these authorities, religious authorities, who knew all about what the Bible said, who knew exactly what the Old Testament said, knew exactly what God had said to Moses, knew exactly the writings of Moses and everything that had flowed from that. They knew it, they knew it inch perfect. And that was the basis of their authority. That was the authority that they stood on. Now, they were right about something. And that was to the Jewish mindset, nobody could be healed without first having their sins forgiven. So they were right in this. You can't, you can't just heal someone because in their mind, somebody was normally sick because of the sins that they had committed. Now, I'm going to say something, and I believe it to be true. I believe the Bible holds it up to be true, and this is the case. That the source of all suffering in the world is sin. Rebelling against God is the source of all the suffering in 
the world. When Jesus died to take away our sins, he died to take away our sins individually in our lives and take away the effects of those sins and set us free and give us a new life. But they were right that the source of suffering, but to them it was an individualized suffering. So that everybody's individual suffering was down to that individual's own sins. Hence the disciples said to Jesus when they saw a blind man, they said, whose sins, who, uh, why is this man born blind? Is it because of his sins or because of his parents' sins? And Jesus said, neither. He was born blind so that God might be glorified in him. What a fantastic, anyway, that's, a, that's another message another day. There's so, there are so many layers inside that. So here we go. We have a clash of authorities. Their authority came from who they thought they what, sorry, forgive me, who, what they knew. That's where their authority came from. You talk about a global authority on climate change or a global authority on, 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 on space science or a global authority on any given subject. It's based on what they know. But Jesus' authority came from who he is. That's where Jesus' authority came from, from his very identity itself. And the thing about this is, I think for this man lying on the bed, if you look at his life, you look at the man lying on the mat. Here he is paralyzed. Now what has authority over that man's life? I can tell you what has authority over his life. The paralysis has authority over his life. It was the number one rule in his life. Everything he did in his life was dictated to by the authority of the fact that he was paralyzed. He couldn't go anywhere. He had to be carried. He couldn't stand. He had to be held up. He probably couldn't wash himself, so he had to be washed. He probably couldn't feed himself, so he had to be fed. So all of this man's life was lived, if you will, under the rulership of this paralysis. And I think it's no different for us, brothers and sisters. I think very often there are things in our lives that are paralyzed. And we live under the authority of, the, of that paralysis. We have something on top of us that's telling us that we can't be what God has called us to be. We can have a, a broken relationship that causes a paralysis in part of our lives. We can suffer from anxiety or alcoholism. Addiction, depression, you can have uh, financial situations that can cause a paralysis in your life. And in effect, you are under the authority of that issue. Some people, I remember speaking to somebody recently who told me that they had been sick with anxiety for 14 years. 14 years. And they said, every decision I made... I had to measure against whether or not this would trigger off my anxiety. Every place I went, I had to think, is this, thank you, Carly, or Star? Don't know why I'm so dry. Um, uh, every decision I made, I squeezed it down my throat and nearly choked a while ago. Thank you. Mm. I bet you, Carla. <clears throat> every decision I made, I had to think, how will this affect my anxiety? Every place I went, every time I got on a bus, will I become anxious? Every time I got in a situation at work, will I become anxious? And so this person lived effectively under the authority of this anxiety. Continually, for 14 years they went through it. And we're the same. And every one of us here has something in us, brothers and sisters, that's paralyzed. There's something in every one of us. It may not be our legs. It may not be our arms. But there's something in every one of us that's paralyzed. The question is, whose authority are you going to accept over your life? Are you going to accept the authority of this sin, this sickness, this situation? Are you going to accept Jesus' authority over it? I love it. It, says, it goes on to say this after Jesus had said, get up, take up your mat and walk. I love it. It says this. Jesus said, it says, the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, praising God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. Never seen anything like this before. I love it. Jesus says to the man, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. He would have said that if he was an American. If he was, in, if he was English, he would have said, stand up, 
pick up your mat and walk. Or if he was in Cork, he would have said, stand up there, boy, pick up your mat and go out. I love it, says he says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. It's all very kind of very, you will do this, then you will do this. It says, this says, the man jumped up. He grabbed his mat and he walked out through everyone. Yeah, I'm healed. And he, he, the excitement overtook him. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm healed. He was completely transformed. His situation was completely transformed. So from being a nice, gentle kind of get up and walk, he jumps and he leaps with delight. The authority of this paralysis is broken over his life. Have you got paralysis in your life? Have you got some area of your life that's emotionally paralyzed? Relationally paralyzed? I don't think they'd ever forget this day. It says this, the last verse translated in Matthew 9, it says, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Who had given such authority. Who is the highest authority in your life, in your situation, and in your circumstances? I'm asking you that because we may have a mental assent to the idea that Jesus is the top of the tree. But very often Jesus isn't the top of the tree. Sometimes our boss can be the biggest authority figure in our lives. Sometimes the difficult relationship we have, maybe with our wives or husbands. Not that that ever happens, of course, because we're all Christians. Would anyone say amen? Yeah. Go ahead and say amen if you want to. Maybe it's an emotional situation. Maybe it's neglect, abandonment, poverty. Whatever the authority situation, maybe it's addiction or anxiety. We think, we say, yes, Lord, we want you to be Lord of our lives. And yet we so often pay more attention to the authority of this thing than we do to Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, do not fear him who can kill the body, but do nothing to the soul. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You could die. That's the worst that can happen. Now, to all of us, I'm sure that's like, oh, I could die. What do you mean I could die? But that really is the worst that can happen. To the Christian. He can die and then he gets translated and he's in the presence of God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And all of his joys that he thought were good here just explode into life because he's in the presence of God forever. And yet we're afraid that the landlord is going to kick us out. And yet we're afraid that we might lose our job or that we might get a bout of anxiety and I respect, I know people struggle with that or that we're afraid that we might fall again under the influence of alcohol or an addiction. We're afraid of all of these things because we hand them these authorities over our lives and we remain paralyzed in that part of our lives. We need Jesus to set us free. We need to declare who has the highest authority in our lives. Oswald Chambers, a, a Christian writer and pastor and speaker, wrote this. He said, the Bible not only tests experience, it tests truth. This is the important part. The Bible tests all experience, all truth, all authority by our Lord himself and our relationship with him personally. All experience must be tested in the light of the authority of Jesus himself. 
Jesus himself, he's the authority. Everything we do, it must be tested in the light of that. I love when Jesus says to his disciples at the end of, at the end of Matthew's gospel, you know the verse. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, I have been given all, how much authority? All. How much authority? All. Authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I lift it a little bit. It says this, and be sure of this. I am with you when? Even to the end of the age. All authority, and I am with you always. All authority has been given to Jesus. So when Jesus say yes, nobody can say no. Amen. When Jesus say yes over your life, nobody can say no. Amen. But you know who tends to say no? We tend to say no. Amen. Let's close in prayer. We tend to be the one who says no. Not our circumstances, not our situations. We tend to be the ones because we accept the authority of something else other than the authoritative voice and reality of Jesus. If Jesus died and rose again, and he did, if he was who he said he was, and he is, if he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is, if that is true, and if we submit ourselves to that authority, nothing can lay a glove on us, brothers and sisters. Are we willing to accept that authority over our lives and over our situations and over our paralysis? To have the authority of Jesus expressed over our lives and our situations and our struggles? Although when uh, Paul writes this to the early Christian church, uh, have I turned it off? I haven't turned it off. He says this to the Diana, would you move me on to the next slide, please? Look, this just is not behaving itself. Paul says to the early Christian church, he's talking in Ephesians chapter 1. Diana, could you shift on to the next slide for me or is it frozen? Is it frozen? I'll read it here. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 says, He is far above all rulers, Amen. Amen. authorities, powers, lords that can be named. And not only in this present world, but also in the world to come. Finally, it comes to me. Do it. He is far above all rulers. Would you stand with me? I want us to read this together because this is something we need to get into our heads and hearts. You see, we can get the idea that Jesus is some kind of gentle, pasty-faced, slightly anemic individual who is going around and kind of is part of our lives and kind of gives us a nice warm hug every now and again and kind of does nice things for us, like looks after us and gives us stuff that, you know, when we're stuck. But there's something much, much more important that we need to remember about Jesus. And that is this, what it says in Ephesians 1.22. I'd like us to read it together. And I'd like you to read it and take it into your heart. So you can read it loud, you can read it quietly, but however you read it, I want you to take it into your heart. Will you read with me on the count of three? One, two, three. He is far above all rulers, authorities, powers, lords, and all other names that can be named, not only in this present world, but also in the world to come. Also in the world to come. Now we started off this about it being easier said than done. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to heal a man. Because first of all, sins are forgiven is invisible. But healing a man was the real thing. It's easier said than done to say we're going to bring this guy to Jesus. It's a lot easier to say it than to actually do it because you have to dig through the roof. And I have to say this in truth, I have to say this. It is easier said than done to say I declare Jesus to be the Lord and authority over all of my life. It is easier to say it than to do it because you will be challenged with it. Every time you face a situation, the question of Jesus' authority will present itself to you again. Every time a 
trial or a situation comes along, the, the, the issue of Jesus' authority will be challenged again. When you go out here and you're driving home and you're rear-ended by somebody, and I hope that won't happen to anyone, I'm not prophesying just for the record, and you're rear-ended by someone, or you go into work tomorrow morning and you're, somebody says you're fired or I hate you, or you go home and your wife slams the door on you and gives you a belt, that's only for the husbands only, of course, and when something like that happens, the authority of Jesus will be challenged again. But we have to declare it again. He is above all things. Jesus is the number one authority. We're going to pray this morning. Ask the band to come up, guys, if you want to come up. Yes. We're going to sing the song, There is power in the name of Jesus. Is there? There's power in the name of Jesus. There is authority in the name of Jesus. We're going to look a little bit further at this on Tuesday, a little bit, little bit further at the issue of authority, what God has given us and the autonomy God has given us and the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. But I want to pray this morning. We're going to sing in a second, but let's just close our eyes just for one moment. For some of you here this morning, you have never before heard the words of Jesus. My son, your sins are forgiven. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. And you've been carrying the burden of sin. You've been carrying it on your shoulders and you've been carrying it on with you. And you have never become a Christian. You've never said, Lord, would you take away my sins? Lord, would you take away my sins? I want you to be part of my life. I want you to take the position of authority over my life. And you've never asked Jesus before to be part of your life and you want to do that this morning with every eye in the house closed I'm going to invite you to raise your hand if that is you you want to say Lord I want you to forgive my sins this morning and take authority for the first time in my life if that's you will you raise your hands with every eyes closed will you raise a hand to heaven I see, I see five hands let's pray very briefly Lord Jesus Christ I thank you that you are here to minister your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that your forgiveness and your reality would be brought to life in these, the hearts and lives of my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you would move into the neighborhood of their hearts. Would anyone say amen? I pray, Lord God, the decisions and the choices that they make on Sunday mornings like this would be transformative in their lives, not only today and this week, but for the rest of their days. We pray. In Jesus' name and God's people said aloud, Amen. If you hear this, in the name of Jesus, let's sing. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain. morning and you recognize there is a paralysis in your life there is part of your life where you need to reassert the authority of Jesus over your life you want to say Lord 
I want to reassert and re-say that you are the authority figure in my life. Not this circumstance, not this situation, not this addiction, not this relationship breakdown, not this financial situation, but you are the authority figure. If you recognize this morning and you want to reassert the authority of Jesus in your life, will you raise your hand? See your hands. I'm going to invite you to come to the front just for a moment as we sing in a second. And we're going to pray together before we finish. Because we want to make this real, not just a simple prayer that we pray quietly and slip off, but we want to make this a reality. So I'm going to invite you to come forward as we sing, and then we're going to pray together in a second. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. you to raise up that situation or that circumstance in your hands and I want to declare first that Jesus has called us to be free people whom the sun sets free is free indeed Jesus said but sometimes we forget that authority we forget that reality and something else impinges and we begin to take more seriously the voice of circumstance or situation then we do the voice of Jesus. Whether that situation is physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, material, we want to lift it before God this morning and declare that this is not the final word in the matter. Jesus has the final word in our lives. Let's lift it up before God. I invite you, if you're not up here at the front, would you extend a hand forward towards those who are being prayed, who are praying here at the front? Not so that you can fire magic beams at them like I normally say, but just so that you focus your prayers and stand with our brothers and sisters in prayer this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we bring ourselves before you. We bring before you, Lord, what very often is the paralysis in our lives and in our hearts and in our souls. Sometimes, Lord, we are paralyzed emotionally or relationally. We're paralyzed in a work situation. We can't get out of it, Lord. We want to say this morning, that circumstance and situation does not have the final say in our lives. But Jesus Christ has the final word and the final say in our lives. Lord, we submit again this morning to your authority. Would anyone say amen? Lord, we know and we believe that what you said is true for our lives and for the lives of the whole of planet Earth. That all authority is given to Jesus. Whether it is above, above every name, every Lord, every situation that can be spoken, Jesus has authority over that. Lord, we accept again and we declare your authority over that situation. We bring it to you now. We raise it up before you and say, Lord, in this relationship, may we see your authority being asserted again. In our circumstance, may we see your authority being 
asserted again. For those this morning who are struggling with anxiety, Lord, I pray that the panic we feel will be overshadowed by the authority and the security that we feel and know in Jesus Christ. That will be translated from something that we know in our heads to something that we live and walk in in our hearts. Would anyone say amen? Lord, we commit our lives into your hands. And we ask you, Lord, regardless of what comes at you, and we pray for everyone in the hall this morning, regardless of what comes at us this week, no matter what comes through our doors or comes up behind us, Lord, we pray that we would remember the authority and the power and the presence of Jesus Christ in every situation, Lord. Lord, that we won't be overthrown by relationship breakdown or mental breakdown or financial breakdown a relational breakdown, Lord, I pray that this week we will be looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord Jesus. We hand you over authority and we declare the authority of Jesus over our lives because when Jesus says yes, nobody can say no. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up the light of his countenance and give you his peace. In Jesus' name and God's people said aloud. Amen. God bless you and go with you as we go, as you go, lad. The guys are gonna play us out. Tea and coffee's being served upstairs in the atrium. We'll see you again at the 12 o'clock service or Tuesday night at half past seven. Over to the guys. There is power in the